Now, a question I want to ask this morning, and just to be thinking about throughout the sermon is, if you had to answer this question, what is your life's agenda? What is, what is, what is your life's agenda? What is the agenda of your life? Maybe for some of us, we haven't even really thought through that. Maybe for some of us, the first thing that comes to mind is work, saving money, having a decent job, getting a home at some point, having a family. Maybe for some of us, the, the agenda is just getting through the next couple months without any hiccups or just trying to survive. You know, I'm going over the, uh, I'm going over a catechism with my kids, with uh, Ellie and Cadge, and uh, the first question of this catechism is, what is the chief end of man? And my kids could tell you that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Although they always forget the word enjoy and they substitute some funny word in there that um, Ellie, I think, usually says, and be with him forever. I'll accept that. That's, that's really good. Um, but the chief end of man, to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And though this isn't inspired theology, the catechism isn't inspired, it is good theology nonetheless. When we look at what the Word of God says about what is our purpose, what is our calling, What is our agenda? And so, you know, really the follow-up question is, what what is the agenda of your life? The the follow-up question would be something like, would you say that the agenda of your life kind of follows what the chief end of man is? To glorify God? To enjoy Him forever? Or do we find ourselves living according to our own agendas? Do we find ourselves kind of creating meaning for our lives instead of listening and understanding the one, to the one who gave us that meaning, who gave us this purpose, and what his agenda might be? And so this leads us into our passage this morning. And I want to read it for us, and then I'll, I'll pray, and we'll get into what uh, James is talking about here and then some application behind that. James says, starting in verse 13, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city and stay there a year and do business and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will be. What is your life? For you are a puff of smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But now you boast in arrogance. All boasting such as this is evil. Therefore, whoever knows the right thing to do and does not do it, for him it is a sin. Let's pray. Lord, I ask this morning that you would bless our time together as we dive into the book of James, Lord, that, you know, this scripture is, is 
God breathed. It's, it's from you. You spoke it. This is absolute truth, what your word says. And I pray as we also venture into some other passages this morning to support what James is saying here, that we would also recognize that those are spoken by you as well. Lord, I pray, God, that we would be molded into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, that as we continue in this book of James, that we would look to see what true, genuine, saving faith looks like, and what does it mean to have an allegiance to our new King, Jesus Christ, that we would live lives according to your agenda and not our own. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So the first point this morning, which will be taking us through the passage, is that really the agenda of the world is in conflict with the agenda of the kingdom. The, agenda, the, the world has an agenda, and by default, apart from Christ, we fall into that agenda. But the problem is that agenda is in conflict with the agenda of our king. We have two kingdoms in conflict and only one will survive. Only one will win out. And so what James is saying in, in verses 13 and 14 here, when he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city and stay there a year and do business and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will be. What is your life? For you are a puff of smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes. See, the problem is, our default mode, our default agenda, is the thinking of the world and the agenda of the world. Look, here, here are some passages to help kind of support this. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. There is a way that seems right to each and every one of us outside of Christ. You go and talk to the person on the street who does not know Christ, and they will give you a reason for doing what they do. And they will justify their life. And it will seem right to them. I was having a conversation with uh, an atheist just recently, and it's amazing the way that even though they have a foundation of sand, they just twist and turn, and, they, and it just reminds me of this problem. There's a way that seems right to this person, but its way is death. I mean, he thinks he's on the right path. He thinks he's doing just fine, but at the end is destruction. That's the thinking of the world. And then Luke 12 Jesus gives a parable, and in this parable, there's a wealthy man. And he says, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So this is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. See, there's a way that seems right to man where we can prep and plan and have all these, these thoughts and, and this, our, our agenda, 
maybe a whole list of things, getting a good job, right? Here's a man that by the world's standards, I mean, he had so much stuff, he had to rebuild his barns and silos so that he could fit his grain. He had treasures upon treasures, but then what does God say? He says, you fool! Do you not realize that this very night your soul is required of you? Let me ask you, do you know when you will stand before God? We don't even know, I don't even know if I will make it to the end of this sermon. And it could be this very night that my soul is required of me. And what will I say when I stand before God? Will I show him the, the plans that I had and the agenda that I had for my life and say, well, what do you think, Lord? I got a home. You, you, you want my home? Do you need a place to stay? So James is countering this idea when he says, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city and stay there a year and do business and make a profit. And James, I think, would say the same thing. You fool. You make these plans, but you don't even know if this very night your soul is required of you. And even if you do get to the city and you make such and such a profit, in the end, whose will they be? James says, you do not know what tomorrow will be. What is your life? You are a puff of smoke that appears for a little while and vanishes. Look, Job 8 9, for we are but of yesterday and know nothing for our days on earth are a shadow. Listen, I just take that in for a second. For we are but of yesterday. The best that we know is just what we've seen in the past. We are but of yesterday. And then when we're gone, right, our lives are just yesterday for the people that continue on. Think about the people in your life who have made huge impacts. And that's great. That's great. If they're godly impacts, even better, right? There's nothing to take away from the fact that Babe Ruth could play ball really well. But he is of yesterday. Psalm 39, 5 through 6, Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing... They are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. A life of plotting and planning, and yet we vanish. Right? We, we, we're just a puff of smoke. My grandpa is 91 years old, so to me that seems like he has lived a long time. But the reality is, in the grand scheme of time and eternity, it's just a blip on the radar. Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? See, the reality is, is 
when we live according to our agenda, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're living in a way that we're not really understanding our life in light of eternity. When we plan and plot according to our agenda and what we think is right and say things like, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and I'll work there for a while and I'll make a profit and then here's my plan to do this and here's my plan for that and we start having all these plans without considering what the Lord requires of us. When we do that, what we're forgetting is the fact that you're going to die. Each and every one of us, we're going to die. And everything that we plotted and planned for, if it wasn't for the Lord, it's going to be burned up. Dust to dust, ashes, ashes to ashes. I love old homes, and I got to go to northern uh, Michigan just last week. And, you know, if, if, in Michigan, especially like the Grand Rapids area, but even farther north, they have like a lot of old homes. But guess what's happening to these old homes? They're falling apart. And then you go to a, a cemetery, because that's what my friend wanted to do. He likes going to cemeteries, and so I go with him. But then you look at the lives of the people in the cemeteries, and it, and it gives you just this kind of sobering recognition that our life is but just a, a blip. Such and such lived from 1884 to 1957. Guess what? 1957 for me is an eternity. But that man had his whole lifetime. And that's, that's us. That's, that's, that's who we are. Now, it should only be really sad, so to speak, if we're living according to the world's agenda and we're living according to our agenda. It's tragic then. But this is what James says. He says, instead... You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. I like that. He doesn't even say the same thing that he says before. He doesn't say, if the Lord wills, because we do this a lot. If the Lord wills, I'm going to go into business and do this and that and make a profit here. And what really we, what we end up doing is we start saying, well, if the Lord wills, you know, and then we still make our plans according to our agenda. And then we just say, you know, if God wills, God willing, God willing, you yeah. know. Because it's, it's, you know, it's good, it's good Christianese, right? It's, it's, that's what we have to say. But James didn't even say that. He said, if the Lord wills, we will live. First, <laughs> if the Lord wills, you take your next breath. If the Lord wills, by his providence, we drive home safely. If the Lord wills, we will live. And then, you know, we can do this or that. He says, but, but now you boast in arrogance. And all boasting such as this is evil. Here, here are some passages uh, for that as well. Listen to Proverbs 27.1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Right? When, we, when we make plans according to our own agenda, we're, we're boasting and pretending that we know something that we don't. We don't know what tomorrow will bring.
Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And Paul Remembering that, writes, Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. See, you may think you have a good agenda, and you may boast in what that agenda may be, but the reality is, is you're not approved by your agenda. You're not going to be commended by the Lord because you did things your way. The Lord needs to approve of what you do. It needs to be the Lord's agenda. Do not, if, if, if you are looking forward to your funeral, having the song, I Did It My Way by Frank Sinatra, okay? That's not a good song for you. You don't need Frank Sinatra's approval for how you live your life. You don't need my approval for how you live your life. You don't need the approval of everybody at your funeral because on that day, what you need the approval of is the Lord. The Lord has a will. He has an agenda. And that needs to be our desire, right? If you are going to boast, Jeremiah says, boast in this, that you understand and know him. And then James finishes by saying, um, if you know the king's agenda and you refuse to do it, you're in sin. James says, therefore, whoever knows the right thing to do and does not do it for him, it is a sin. Again, Jesus in Luke 12 says, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will, be, he will set over him all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him in with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act accordingly to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrust much, they will demand more. So if we're ignorant of the Lord's will, it doesn't say you're off the hook. You just receive a lesser beating than the one who knows the will of God and refuses to do it. I got good news for you. We're going to talk about what some of those are. But first, before we do that, We kind of are in a predicament here because we need an example. We need to know what the the will of the Lord is. We need to know what his agenda is. And thankfully, Christ 
is that example. See, Christ followed the perfect agenda of the Father, bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. Look at some of these passages. Jesus said to them, these passages. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for which you do not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Now, Jesus is is doing two things there. The first thing, which is most important for what we're talking about now, is he's saying, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus came for a purpose, right? And in the life that he lived, he was totally and completely submissive to the will of the Father. Another way of saying that is Jesus did nothing according to his own agenda. He did it according to the agenda of the Father. John 5:19 So Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise." This is an important passage because Paul says something very similar. This is this kind of imitation theology where Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And then Christ, what does Christ say? Christ, I do nothing of my own accord but what I see the Father doing. So when we're following someone like Paul, who we're really looking at is following Christ. And when we're following Christ, what we're really doing is submitting ourselves to the agenda of our Lord. Matthew 26, 39 And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Even to the cross. Even to the cross. Even to death. Our Christ submitted to the will of the Father. Luke 2.49. This is back, this is a rewind here, all the way when Jesus is a, a child. And his parents are looking for him, and they find him in the temple, and Jesus says to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Even from childhood, right? The agenda of our Lord was the Father, the will of God. And it's by following the will of the Father that he established the kingdom of God in his earthly ministry, his death, and his resurrection. And it is by Christ alone that we are brought into this kingdom because it is by his grace that he calls us out of darkness into light, making us new creations. And really, this is important because this is the first step of being able to live a life according to the agenda of our Lord is we have to be made new. But like I said, by default, our default mode, right, is that we work according to the agenda of the world. It's all we know. It's all we love. It's all we can do. And if we are going to live according to the agenda of this new heavenly kingdom that will last for eternity, then we need to be pulled out of this old kingdom. We need to be pulled out of this old agenda and made new. 
And it is by Christ that you can be made new and brought into this new agenda, into this new kingdom, so that your life is not brought before the Lord and seen as worthless, but yet brought before the Lord and approved, not because of who you are, but because of what Christ has done in you and the new creation he has made you to be. And so now we get into... Uh, our, our third point, and really our, our main point of application, which is we are called to follow the agenda of the king, not the agenda of the world. Now, in your bulletin, it's going to be a small area, but i got a lot to go through, so go ahead and feel free to write into the next point as well. I know for some of you that may be very difficult, um, but uh, there's less to say in that fourth point than in this third, so make sure you, you get this down. But look, in order to follow this kingdom agenda, right, in order to follow the the will of our Lord, we have to know the God of this kingdom. We have to know who the Lord is. We have to know that, that Christ is king and this kingdom is the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and will be for eternity. So you have to know who's in charge. And you also have to be part of that community. See, to be a citizen of this kingdom is to be a part of the church. That's what the kingdom looks like right now. It's, it's, the, it's the citizens of that kingdom are the church. And so if you're not actively part of a local church, then you are not about the king's agenda because that's who the king works through. He works through his church. So, how does the church then participate in this kingdom work? All right, I got a list of six things. The first one is the church is to participate in this kingdom work by growing in a greater knowledge of who the Lord of this kingdom is. We are to know God. And to know in order to know God, we need to be in the word. This is why we do expository preaching here at the church. Genesis to Revelation, it doesn't matter where we are. We are going to go through it. We are going to submit ourselves to what the Lord says. And we are going to learn of Him. It's it's by the Word of God that we get to know who God is, what He desires, what He loves, and in contrast, what He hates, what He demands, and how He acts and works and speaks in our world. Many people want to, or at least claim that they want to know God, but if you are neglecting his word, you will not grow in a knowledge of who he is. So we need to know who God is, and we need to speak with God. We need to be, as a church, a people of prayer. This needs to happen both privately and corporately as the body of Christ. But we get alone, we get with God in prayer, and we need to adore Him, and we need to thank Him. We adore Him for who He is. Even apart from us, do you realize that God is deserving of all adoration? He is Lord. He is Creator. Before Abraham was, He is. 
And then we thank him. We, we thank him. Think about all the things that God has done in your life. We talked about this all the way back in the beginning when we were talking about um, temptation right after trials. And we talked about that only good gifts come from our Father. Only good gifts. Which means that even if you're going through a trial, even if you're going through a hard time, it is something that God is meaning for good. So even in the trials, we can be thankful and have joy. So in prayer, we adore Him, we thank Him, we confess our sins, and we feel the burden of sin lifted as we confess to our Lord. How amazing it is that when we bring our sins before Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And He, he even says, I take your burden upon myself and you take mine. And mine is light. I have taken your sins upon myself. That's the promise that our Lord gives us. And in prayer, we also we ask for wisdom. We ask for guidance and help. We cry out to him on behalf of others and for ourselves. We pray the word back to God. We recite scripture. We meditate on his word. We pray it in a way that it, that it, it soaks in, right? And So we need to know God, we need to speak with God as a church, and then I put we need to eat with God. We eat with God at the Lord's table. I know for a lot of us that you know, communion has very little meaning because we're not really entirely sure what is the purpose of this. Some churches do it once a month, some churches do it every week, some churches do it once a quarter. What is actually going on here? And when are we supposed to do it? What are we doing? But part of the Lord's agenda is that we would eat with him at the table for a number of reasons. One being that we remember the cross. We come to the table, we partake of communion, and it's supposed to be a time of remembrance. But it's also supposed to be a time of celebration. This is why Paul says not only are we looking back at what the Lord has done, but we're proclaiming what he's going to do. This is a table of celebration, and really it's a foreshadowing of the great supper that we will have in the heavenly kingdom. We celebrate the new covenant of his blood. We celebrate the blessed hope of his return. Communion is where we celebrate the reality of the kingdom. Communion is where you get to celebrate that you, by God's grace, have been pulled out of the old world and the old kingdom and the old agenda have been brought into Christ's kingdom. Part of the, the gathering, you know, in the church is we encourage one another and we prepare for the week. Right? So how important is ending our time with this encouraging celebration? You end with hope. That's communion. We need to know God, we speak with God, we eat with God, and we sing to God. I said this just at our table on Wednesday night in Bible study. We talked about this singing to the Lord. Why? Because worship is a, it, it glorifies God, it builds up the saints, and it battles the forces of darkness. You're not just doing nothing when you sing here this morning. You are entering into spiritual battle. When Israel went into battle, the choir went first.
proclaiming and glorifying God. This is who we stand for. This is who we work for. This is whose agenda we follow. And then we minister with God. In the church, we minister with God. How do we do this? Well, this is maturing the family of God through learning. And then practicing pure and undefiled religion, as James has told us. Caring for those in the body of Christ with needs. Caring for the widows and the orphans. Carrying one another's burdens. That's the family unit that Christ has called us to. We're to be ministering to one another. That's part of our king's agenda. That you would be ministering to one another. That you would be taking care of each other. That if you see a brother or sister in Christ in need, that you would do what you can to meet that need and not simply say, go on and be well. And then part of ministering with God in the church is also practicing Matthew 18. Confronting, restoring, but the beauty of it is also forgiving. The Matthew 18 process is not just the end where you say, you know, you're a tax collector and a sinner to us. The Matthew 18 process, hopefully, is just at the beginning when you go to a brother or sister and say, here's a sin that I'm, I'm seeing in your life. I've pulled the log out of my own eye and I see the speck in yours clearly. And I come to you imploring you that the word of God says this and you are living counter to the king's agenda. Come back. And then you are restored and forgiven. This is, this is part of ministering with God in the body of Christ. This is the agenda of the king. And then the last one is conquer with God. Conquering sin. John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. We have this life that we are called to live in the kingdom where we now no longer have to answer to our old master. Where when temptation comes knocking at the door and old habits and old sins come calling our name, it's been conquered eternally by Christ and now we get to continue in this conquering life with victory over sin by saying no. That's the old agenda. That's the old way of life. I'm new now. I have a new citizenship. So we conquer with God by conquering sin, and then we also can't forget that we're called to conquer the culture. You know, when I was thinking about how to describe this, I thought about when Jesus said that he's calling his disciples to be fishers of men. You have been called to be a, a, a fisher of men for the kingdom of God. But I think many Christians' approach to this is like a fisherman who's just sitting in his boat waiting for fish to jump in. I think that that's... Can I tell you guys something? That's why we can have millions of Christians in this country and have a church that's pretty much void of any voice. We have millions of Christians in this country, and yet our world is falling apart. We are to be fishers of men. We bring the kingdom of God to invade a lost and dying world. 
Now, of course, that lost and dying world doesn't want the kingdom of God, so it's going to fight back. But we have been given a mission by our Lord. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them what I have commanded you. And I will be with you. Where? To the ends of the earth. So it doesn't matter if we're here in Aurora or in China or in North Korea, California. Wherever we are, we are called to be bringing the kingdom of God into that culture and being fishers of men because that is the agenda of our king. And the problem, though, is that many of us, we know the king's agenda, right? We, we, we know these things. There probably wasn't too much that I said in that list that you're like, I've never heard that before. So we're, we're, what is the problem then? What is holding us back? Well, we, we tend to make excuses. I don't know enough. Or right now is just not a good time. Once I get myself a little bit more situated in life, then I will start following the king's agenda. But that'll have to happen a little bit later down the road. Or we become fear-based. I'm too worried to say the wrong thing. I'm too concerned about what other people are going to think of me. I'm scared about what I would look like or sound like if I actually sang and, and raised my hands in joy and in worship. But really what it comes down to is we don't want to take up our cross and follow Christ. See, for many Christians, we would rather focus on our own agenda and our own success. For many Christians, we don't want to deal with humiliation and hatred from the world. And for many Christians, we don't want to put in the effort of study, discipleship, the steady growth over long periods of time because we want things immediately. The Bible has names for all these things, by the way. Selfishness, cowardice, laziness, pride. And these will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I do ask and I implore you that you would not be seeking your agenda in life, that you would not be going around saying, you know, today or tomorrow I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and going according to your will, but instead that you would look at what is the king's agenda for my life? What is the Lord's concern? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And there are many endless places that you can do that. It's not just on Sunday morning. It's not just, you know, those who are coming and speaking from the pulpit or those who are, you know, called to be deacons or elders in the church. You, you in Christ, you as a citizen of the kingdom, are called to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You do that at work, you do that in your family. Do that with education. And so our hope in the end, which is a promise, 
is that the agenda of the king and his kingdom wins. See, like I said, we have two kingdoms in conflict, and only one of them is going to last. Only one of them is going to be eternal. And the spoiler alert is it's not the kingdom of the world. Only one agenda is eternal, and it's not yours. We are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Christ has commissioned us to make disciples and proclaim the message of the kingdom, and the promise is he will not fail. He doesn't fail this. We may not understand the way he's going about it fully. Why do some people join in? Why do some people come to understand this? Why do some not? How long will God put up with uh, you know, the, those who reject him and, and nations who are living in total rebellion to his kingdom and his, and, his, and his glory? We don't know the answer to those questions, but we know that in the end, Christ wins. His kingdom will come. And so we as Christians, we get the benefit. We don't have to sit here and look at our own agenda and think about our life being you know, just a, a blip on the radar, a puff of smoke, and, and sit in depression because we're going to be gone and just part of yesterday. See, we get to look with optimism and hope because God has and will have victory over sin and death now and in eternity. And that's the eternity. That's the kingdom that you get to be a part of. And so let us be workers of the king's agenda. And it is only this agenda that, it'll, that will be eternal. And I wanted to end by just reading this before I pray and we get into um, communion. This is from Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 19. He says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. Now why would he say that? Because then you would just be like anybody else. Your life would be only this puff of smoke, and then it's, then it's done for eternity. And so if you're living according to someone else's agenda and not your own, man, there's just, you, you should be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep... For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Christ comes, his kingdom conquers all, even the great equalizer, death itself. That's the kingdom that I want to be a part of, and I pray that's the kingdom that you want to be a part of as well. And so let us go and live accordingly. I'm going to pray for us now, and then we'll have this time of communion together. And I would just say two things. One, if you are not a believer in Christ, I pray that you would take time right now 
and you would confess of your sins and you would repent of walking and living according to your own agenda and instead would seek to follow the agenda of Christ. And if that's something that you can do and say that you want to do, then please come and join us for communion this morning. But if you're not there yet, then there's no shame this morning in refraining from taking communion. This is a table that is reserved for those who will recognize what Christ has done for them and live with hope and celebration knowing that he will return. And that's what our table is for this morning. And so um, we're going to do two lines again, um, and we can move pretty quickly since we're just grabbing them and going back to our seats. Okay, so let me pray for us. And then um, uh, Jimmy and, and Jay, if you could do the line for us. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you this morning that we can come and worship you together as the body of Christ, Lord. It gives me such joy to, to be bringing the word of God to our church, to the Oasis, Lord, because I, I love this family that you have put together so much. And I am so grateful that I get to be a part of this work that you're doing. And I pray that all Christians, Lord, would come to this same place of gratefulness, recognizing that you are doing a kingdom work, Lord, and you have invited us to be a part of that, Lord. And, and if we are citizens of the kingdom, Lord, we have a mission and we have an agenda that is not just an agenda that is a puff of smoke, Lord, but it's an agenda for eternity, Lord. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.